Hey y'all, how y'all doing? On the previous episode of the show, we heard from three black women and their experience of losing children during preterm labor or after birth. Well, today I wanted to follow up by giving a counter perspective from a member of the medical community. So today's guest is my friend, LaTanya Cobb-Tippins. She is a nurse manager for a major hospital in the DFW area. Tanya and I have an informative and enlightening conversation about the information and resources Black women need to help them and their children to survive and thrive during and after childbirth. I'm sure you will find it very interesting. Thanks and have a great day. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about gratitude. 2021 started out for me having a spirit of gratitude, just being thankful for making it through 2020. Needless to say that we're three months in and I've already been challenged. Life gets tough. It's always hard. But in the words of one of my favorite characters on Queen Sugar, Ralph Angel. It's not about what life brings you, but it's about how you respond. Because you're going to get stuff all the time. So you can either be upset about it, or you can face it and do the best that you can. The reason I bring that up is because this weekend started off pretty rough was driving, I went to see my mom, it was late at night, getting ready to come on home, and my battery light came on. And you guys have already heard me talk about (laughs) my issues with my car before. (laughs) And I started to get upset, but instead I said, let me call my friend. So I called my friend Kato and said, hey, I'm driving my car, my battery, battery light is on, but it's running. And he said, well, you got two things that might be wrong. One, you either need a new battery, or two, you need an alternator. Well, I just bought a battery around this time last year. He was like, well, this is what you need to do. Take it to AutoZone. They're going to put it on a machine. They'll test it for you, and they will tell you if it's the battery or the alternator. But do that right away. So I paid attention. And true enough, it was the alternator. But the guy was like, well, you can still drive it, but you need to get it fixed. So called, made an appointment the next day with my mechanic, and they couldn't get me till Tuesday. So me being me, I was like, okay, it's still running. Let me run around. I have some stuff to do for the podcast, so I can do that, and then I'll come home and stop. Well, I go to, my, actually my guest today, I go over to her house so we can discuss a few things, and me being me they offered me food (laughs) so I stayed too long well I get ready to go and guess what my car won't start (laughs) it's sitting in their driveway and her husband says oh I can put an alternator on for you real quick (laughs) he takes me to the local O'Reilly I buy an alternator and he fixes it in their driveway so 
I take the old alternator back to get the core fee or the recycling fee or whatever. And then I always need oil. So I pop my trunk to put the new oil in it. And here comes this old guy to help me. Hey, lady, let me help you do that. Now, me being me, I'm always used to doing stuff by myself. I almost just said, no, no, thanks. I got it. But something said, just let him help you. And as he helped me, he gave me some tips on making sure I knew I had enough oil in the car. And the reason I bring all these guys up is to show that, you know, I wanted to be upset and frustrated in the fact that one, my car stopped again, but I refocused my attention. It's not about how, what life brings, because cars need maintenance. It's going to stop. It's about how I handle it. Instead of being frustrated, I was thankful for a friend to tell me what to do. I was thankful for a friend who said, I can fix your car right now. And I was thankful for a stranger who said, hey, let me help you out. You might be able to do it for yourself, but I know I can help you. So in life, just help me remember. You may already know. Help me remember to be grateful for those moments when people step up to help you when they don't even have to. Signed, your favorite homegirl. Hey, Tanya. Hey, <laughs> how you doing? Doing good, doing good. <laughs> how was your week? This week has been a bugger of a week as far as work getting going, but otherwise it's been good. <laughs> good, that's good. Yeah. To my listeners, today on the show, I have my friend and sorority sister, Latanya Cobb, Tippin. Is it Tippin yeah. or Tippins? Tippins with the S. Okay, because I get you confused <laughs> with Misty. Yeah. <laughs> Latanya Cobb Tippin. And she is on the show today to talk about, well, she's here to follow up on my previous episode where we talked about infant loss, um, pregnancy loss, things like that. So I wanted her on the show to give the medical perspective. Um, but first, let me tell you all how I know her. I've known Tanya now for at least 24 years. I say 25 <laughs> because you just turned 25 in Delta. Yay! Yay! And I think I've been there. It feels like the whole time, but mm-hmm. definitely like your senior year. So the first memory I have of you is New Orleans Convention, 98. I know. <laughs> that was so wonderful. <laughs> Wait a minute. And I, always, time. and I always tell you how much I hated it. <laughs> it's so much fun. You were funny. And I'm yes. Like, I'm but I remember <laughs> you being there as a delegate, right, for TCU. Yes, I had to do the work. That's why I was not there. <laughs> <laughs> she is a, a proud, I guess, uh, she was initiated into Iowa yes. Ada chapter at Texas Christian University. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we started working together with Fort Worth alumni chapter my yes. in and out and it's being <laughs> financial <laughs> but we remain friends you me and Kim and so I've just I've you know your your sister <laughs> yeah true story <laughs> true story so um so let's get uh do you want to add anything that I leave anything out uh I think that was a pretty good background of how we met and stay in touch the in and out together with Fort Worth alumni but yes <laughs> So um, 
we're gonna go ahead and start the show um i guess i i well i'll start by being honest i actually thought you worked in labor and delivery but you told me <laughs> you there was a clarification so let tell people you are a nurse so tell yes. people what you do okay i am a nurse i'm currently working here in dfw area as a nurse manager in postpartum newborn nursery and lactation and perinatal education so basically outside of pushing the baby out or the baby going to NICU, I'm the manager for those areas. With my nursing background, I've worked in all of those areas as mm -hmm. well. We've done breastfeeding education. We've done classes for people that come in as far as when they're pregnant and preparing to deliver. But the bulk of my time has been working on the floor with postpartum moms, their babies, as well as some moms that come in for antepartum if they're having problems with their pregnancies but also on the other stage of having hysterectomies and different type of gynecological surgeries that they have going on. So I do basically all of women's services outside of the actual pushing or care for high level babies in the NICU. Oh, then listen, boss, yeah. she's a boss. Whatever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you feel comfortable talking about the subject that we're going to discuss today. I do because you experience loss, yes, in labor and delivery, but oftentimes you go home and there's complications that go with you home. So the bulk of postpartum care is the education of moms to make sure we try to prevent those kind of outcomes from happening, or we're the ones that will sit with you when you've had that loss and we're taking care of you because you are still a patient, even though you're going through the loss. So I feel more than comfortable with that. Okay. Okay. I love yeah. it. Um, uh, I hate to be excited about this topic. But <laughs> It is good. So I guess you already talked about um, your day to day, but what led you to this position to be in postpartum? How, and how long have you been in it? Well, I graduated. I've been doing women's services as far as postpartum area, I guess, since I graduated in 2000. Mm -hmm. So about 20, 21 years I've been in that area. This is mm -hmm. all that I've ever done is women's services. I never worked in another area. And to be completely honest, I wound up in women's services because when I graduated, I didn't want a contract coming out of school. I didn't want anybody to tie me down to a hospital for a minimum of two to five years. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to learn the area I wanted to be in. And if I didn't like it, I wanted the flexibility to move to a different area. Mm -hmm. However, I started it. I loved it. I haven't left and I'm still doing it and I won't be leaving anytime soon. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. Okay, so I, I brought you on the show because um, like I said, last episode, around the time that Sonia gave me the idea for the episode, you and I talked, I called you for some research on the book and you were mm -hmm. giving me details and stuff like that. And you told me about a story of a mom that I guess a video you sent me of a lady on YouTube, a young woman mm -hmm. on YouTube that mm -hmm. passed away in childbirth. But I guess my question is, um, women dying in childbirth was, you let me know then that it's your passion. Why and what led you to the issue? Um, honestly, it's a relatively newer thing for me just because I've been fortunate enough to work in different hospitals and different hospital settings, but I haven't really seen a lot of maternal loss as far as death when it, pregnancy. But um, as I grow in my career, I try to get more education, know what I'm doing so I can reach everybody outside of not just the hospital, but people we come into contact. And when we started really looking at the data, going to the different conferences that we do for I guess the women's services area, AWAN, they're, they're our nursing organization that we follow. So going to conferences for that, you're seeing statistics of Black women dying. And for us to be 
leading the world in some areas. We're seen as leaders in technology, healthcare, people are leaving third world countries coming here, wanting a better life for themselves. And when you're looking at the data for black women having babies, you're seeing that we are dying and we're actually, if you look at the graph, we're increasing in the number of deaths in black women. Mm -hmm. So even with identifying this problem, trying to shine a light on the issue of what's going on, we're still seeing black women dying at disproportionate rates to white women, Hispanic women, anyone else. And some of our rates are worse than third world countries as far as the number of black women dying. And so exactly, your face was my face. And I'm like, this is ridiculous that we live in a country with all of these opportunities and healthcare and we are still dying and our babies are dying or we're dying and we're leaving a family without a mother, a child, or you know, a child without a mother, a husband or a spouse without a loved one. It just didn't make sense. And so then you go back to where you work and hopefully it doesn't leave you at that point. And it didn't leave me because I work at a hospital where there aren't many patients that look like me that come in. There's not many staff that look like me that come in. And so when you do have those patients, you're taking special care to educate them. You wanna make sure that you're making a difference because it's not even just during pregnancy, it's the long-term effects afterwards. So some of the conditions that you have during pregnancy that put you at greater risk, it stays with you through the rest of your life and it actually increases your mortality later in life. And I don't always feel like that education is being given to us. And so I'm trying to do my best to educate my staff as well as myself so that we can make a difference in it if we ever, I don't know, if we ever see a decrease, which I hope that we do, mm -hmm. but at least to know where I am, I'm making an impact and trying to bring that to light so that we can see it. So I guess I, I thought of a couple of questions do they give any reasons as to why black women are dying more than any other demographic? Like what contributes to that? They're doing research on it, but honestly, it isn't just one identifiable cause. They haven't mm -hmm. found medically that there's a reason why this is happening. So of course that leads to the discussion of implicit biases, mm -hmm. stereotypes, and just treating women of different colors and um, ethnicities, cultures, and does that impacting the care that we're actually giving? Because if we can't find a medical reason why, then it must be a social reason why. And so that's what I'm trying to address is the social reasons mm -hmm. why of making sure our voices are heard. Um, can you discuss like maybe what might be the social reasons why? I think that historically women are always just, black women are just seen as strong. They can take this, it's okay. You know, we've been through so much that, you know, we can just, we can make it. it. It does seem heavy, but they can make it. Um, and so sometimes it's not looked at as critical. And it's, the person may think it's a compliment because they're like, you're strong, you can deal with this, it's okay. But, you know, we're still a woman. And if you would treat someone of a different color or background differently, then you can't expect us to, to be strong and to work through this without your help as well. The other part of it is just, Unfortunately, we don't have always the education long-term going into it. We sometimes think that, oh, you're just swelling. That's a part of it. And, you know, we deal with it because our grandmother said, or our aunt said, you know, we're taking that information and we're running with it, but it's not always the case. Swelling, if it increases and it's really bad and your blood pressure is being monitored, that could be an early indicator of something going wrong in your pregnancy as well as with your healthcare that puts you at risk as well as the baby at risk. And then the last thing I think sometimes we battle because 
we're dying, you would think that there would be a difference between women with health care, um, the more education you have, that that number will change, but it doesn't. It's the same amongst all of us. And I really think that sometimes that as Black women, to, to perform well in a workplace setting, we often try to assimilate into that setting. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to be seen as the loud, angry Black woman. We won't, don't want to be demanding as far as what we need because we're afraid of the other stereotype or label that will mm -hmm. be put on us. Whereas as soon as we say it, they might say and put a stereotype on us, but it's going to be up to us to speak up and say something because we have to make sure that we're being watched. And so I don't want people to ever feel that I have to be quiet or silent because I don't want them to label me as something because that's not on you. That's on the people that are there. Label me all you want as long as you're saving my life and I get out of this alive and I'm getting the best care possible. Amen. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, a couple of other things crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> you talked about some of the conditions that might contribute to mortality in labor mm -hmm. and delivery mm -hmm. or pregnancy. Um, can you talk about those? And you also talked about how those conditions might carry on later in life. So just right. kind of discuss that. What do you mean? What conditions? What are you talking about? Um, because I don't want to. I don't want to assume people know. You know. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, one of them, gestational diabetes. That sometimes you get pregnant, you're going to have diabetes while you're pregnant, but then you have the baby and afterwards your blood sugar goes back to normal. It was just while I was pregnant. Statistically, not true. If you have gestational diabetes, that's an early warning sign that more than likely later in life, you're going to develop diabetes. Mm -hmm. It's just the stress of having the baby in your body is bringing that to the forefront sooner rather than later. Um, postpartum hemorrhage, that's a huge one. Um, after delivery, you can bleed where it's a little bit heavier and you might think, oh, black women, sometimes we have heavier cycles and we think that that's normal, that we have clots, that that's just a typical thing, but it's not. We really need to start monitoring the clots and the bleeding and it can lead to you needing, this one isn't a long-term lifelong, but you could go home and still have that hemorrhage. You can have postpartum hemorrhage up to six weeks after you deliver a baby. Mm -hmm. The biggest one is preeclampsia, dealing with blood pressure issues, hypertension and pregnancy. Um, a lot of times they say that you get pregnant, you get preeclampsia, you can have other disorders related to hypertension while you're pregnant. And that once you have the baby, having the baby is what cures it. Well, kind of, that kind of works. But interesting, when I went to the conference, I found, because I had never heard this before, and that's crazy to me that I've been doing this, you know, at this point, I've been a nurse in this area for about 15 to 18 years. And I found out that having preeclampsia and issues related with your blood pressure while pregnant actually puts you four times more likely to have heart disease or heart attack later on in life. So you really should be getting a cardiologist at that point, making sure you get baseline echoes. Even if everything is great for now, I would rather have all of those safeguards in place for when we do have a problem down the road, you at least have on file an echo that's normal and it can show that it might be slightly different now, but it is a difference from what it was before. And I need medical attention and I need treatment at that time. So they're lifelong things. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm so amazed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, you also talked about um, as part of your job responsible as a nurse manager, you mm -hmm. are, your department is responsible for educating women, you know, during the postpartum phase. So what type of right. education services do you all provide? What should women be learning? 
Honestly, it's a great time to be in women's services right now because the state of Texas and what's going on, we are going through what we're calling maternal designation. We actually have a survey for that next week. But part of those are big initiatives related to maternal mortality and morbidity and education has been brought to the forefront. So you should be learning what does it look like to have normal bleeding? What does it not look like to have normal bleeding? You should be reviewing that information. Um, when it comes to blood pressure, you should be talked to about your blood pressure and what's normal, what's not, things to look for when you go home. It's not just having an elevated blood pressure. We actually have education through AWAN. I talk about them again. They put on the um, conferences that we go to and they're our governing nursing board for this area. We have what we call post-birth instruction. So the POST, and it's all laid out, it's color-coded. Those are going to be things that you wanna call 911 for immediately if you notice those things. P1 so if you start having, uh, what's that? You said P1T? No, it's called post-birth. And so the P-O-S-T, each oh. of the letters spells something out. So the P is if you're having pain in your chest. O is some obstructive breathing or shortness of breath, if you have shortness of breath going on. S is for seizures. If you have a seizure, you probably will know it last. Your family will know that first. And then last is thoughts of hurting yourself or hurting the baby, some type of harm. Those you want to call 911 for immediately. You don't want to delay. You don't want to wait and see if they get better. It's always better to err on the side of caution if you have any of those. And then for the birth, the other B, the letters B-I-R-T-H, and most hospitals are giving this out now. It's going to be about your bleeding. Is your incision healing? Do you have redness or swelling in your leg that you've noticed? Um, a temperature, something elevated greater than 100.4, and a headache that lingers. So that's your H, your headache. So birth. Any of those, you want to make sure you call your doctor and you talk about those symptoms. If you can't get a hold of your doctor and it's taking too long, you want to call 911 for those as well. Anytime you're having to present to an emergency room or things like that, and it's been within six weeks, it's important for you to say, I was pregnant and I delivered X amount of time ago. So that way they know that because we present differently when we go to the emergency room after we've had a baby and things that might be okay, let's look at because you just had a baby are more severe and you want to make sure that you review those things with your patients. So there's lots of discharge instructions that we go over. Unfortunately, though, you get a lot of paper when you go home after you have mm -hmm. a baby, you have discharge instructions, you have baby instructions, you have appointments, you have all these state required handouts. It's important for whenever they go over your discharge instructions, save those, bring those to the front. I know whenever I go in and help them discharge a patient, I tell them to put this on your refrigerator for the next six weeks. And whenever your baby starts going to daycare, you'll get pictures that you can take down and put those pictures up, but leave those instructions up because they're important for everybody to know and to see and to look for these warning signs. So that way we don't, we don't have a mom who dies unnecessarily. Hey, that's good stuff, Tanya. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did have a, uh, this seems like a random question. During delivery, why don't women, you know, like when they're having the baby, mm -hmm. usually the doctor is the last person they call. You yeah. know, why is that? Because like, nurses rock. No, I'm kidding. They do. Um, <laughs> honestly, most physicians, if you've been seeing a doctor, he has an office. I mean, just being honest, he has office hours and he has patients that he needs to see in the office. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that labor and delivery nurse or whoever it is that's there delivering you, midwife, L&D nurse, whomever, 
they need to monitor and they need to be looking for these symptoms, but they're still under the same guidelines of if they see certain things, they're supposed to call the doctor so the doctor can come to the bedside and see you. Depending on the hospital that you're in, which I'm going to speak highly of the hospital that I'm in, <laughs> we have OB hospitalists that are in-house 24-7. So even if your doctor isn't there, if your doctor is in office hours, surgery, we always have a physician that's available so that if your doctor can't come, that doctor can be at the bedside within, I'd say, three minutes or less because they are housed there. And I am proud of our hospital because that's an extra safety measure that we mm -hmm. have in place to make sure that our patients are always able to see a provider and come in and see in a system. Okay. Um, we know that there are discrepancies, as you talked about, in mm -hmm. health treatment. So, so we feel empowered. What can we do? What can women do? If they feel, especially if they feel like they aren't receiving adequate health care. Right. I think in the hospital setting, I'm going to speak from that side of it. Mm -hmm. What's really important is typically you're going to have a nurse that's assigned to you, that's taking care of you. If you feel that you're speaking and that nurse is not hearing what you're asking for, that they can't answer the questions, let them know that. Say out loud, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you explain that again so that I can understand what you're saying? If they do it again, or if they refuse to do that, every unit of every hospital has a charge nurse. I mean, it's important to know that there's a chain of command that goes up and up and up. You can always, if that nurse isn't meeting your needs, I need to speak to the charge nurse. At our hospital, again, we put the phone number for your nurse as well as the charge nurse on the board, and you are free to call either of those people. And that's important. And it was a big change to us because as a manager, I rounded on a patient one day and the patient was like, I felt like I was trapped because the nurse that I felt like was not giving me good care. She was my nurse and my tech that day. I had no one else that I could call oh. for help because she was my nurse. And it was at that point, we were like, your charge nurse's name will always, there'll always be someone else's phone number on that board. Because if you don't feel that you're getting the care of what you need from that person, you need to have another person that you can call for and speak to. Typically going to the charge nurse, you're going to get an outcome that you need, that, that you want at that time. You're either gonna get something explained to you, but you're gonna get another person to the bedside. Most hospitals have it where patients' families or even patients themselves can also call what we call RRT, a rapid response team. If you feel like you or your loved one has changed, your condition is deteriorating, you're able from the bedside to pick up the phone and call an RRT yourself. It doesn't have to be a member of the hospital to do that. You as a patient and family member can call and that's gonna get a doctor. It's gonna get usually a nurse from like the ED or the ICU. Of course, your nurse is gonna come because they're gonna be like, who is calling something in my room and I don't know what's going on, but it gets a team of people there. And that way that whole team has to agree to what's going on. And it's not that one person anymore. But most importantly, if you feel like even if you go home and you think, you know, that wasn't right, something happened and I need to talk about that. Every hospital has a patient representative that you can call and they will talk to you. They're usually under a risk manager of some sort, but even after you're discharged, there's still people that are available that you can call and talk to about your treatment to make sure that it doesn't happen to the next person. But hopefully one of those steps before will help the health care that you're getting at that time. I love it. So you um, listened to the last episode. What stood out to you? What highlights or points that 
triggered you like, oh, that was big or, you know, that shit. Just talk about it. It was different points. It's funny. I just talked to someone else this morning about that podcast. Um, I know that I sent you a message. The story about the twins touched me personally as well as professionally. Just from hearing her story of what happened, knowing the struggle as a mom going in, unexpected, having babies, you're fighting for your life. And then you have two babies that are fighting for their lives for one to be at the hospital with you, one to be at a hospital so far away, each with their own condition of what's going on. I know it impacted me professionally because occasionally you see that. It doesn't happen all the time, but you're thinking of the baby and you're you're looking at it academically and professionally. Like this mom should be with her baby while her baby is dying and going through the last stages of life. But you always have to stop and think she's going through stages herself. She just had a baby. There's days and hours that she doesn't remember. And she's having to put all of that aside to go and be with her baby and care for her baby. And then she goes back to take care of herself again. Then she has another baby at a hospital in Plano. I mean, that's not close. So driving all the way out to Plano from your home and you're still sick yourself, you're better that you can be discharged but you're not 100% and you're still driving there to care for a baby. And it just, it makes me think of those moms that we talk about maternal mortality and morbidity, but many a mom, we're gonna put our health care to the side to take care of our child. And to hear her say that it impacted me as a professional to make sure I always remember that you are still a patient. Yes, you're that baby's mom right now, but you're still a patient and you still have to be cared for. So I need to do whatever I can do to support her at that time, because these are horrible life decisions that you're having to make in the blink of an eye while you yourself are still a patient and needing care at the same time. Um, Hearing Sonia talk about her story and, and her son going home and then going back for surgery after seeing your child make it that long and your child go through the many challenges. I know there are more that she didn't even discuss that she went through, but going through all of that and being at the, at the bedside, telling someone that, you know, something isn't right. And all I could do is like, I'm yelling on the inside. Why did someone not tell her about the ability of an RRT, not tell her that there's a charge nurse on the floor, not tell her that there's other people. And if any of those other people could have been contacted sooner, then there could have been a different outcome with her son. And that was just, that was a heavy weight because I feel like she didn't have the resources available to her in that time of yes, her son was the patient, but she's still the caregiver and she needs to know all the resources that she has made available to her. Um, And the other story of delivering early, just her as a patient and going through, and that moment is so quick that it happens because We have patients that come in. I mean, honestly, we had one just this week. She came in hemorrhaging. You go to a doctor's appointment thinking that something, I'm just getting checked. And all of a sudden that turns into a life and death emergency and you're delivering a baby and you're still dealing with your health care. But I guess to sum it all up, I'm very long-winded. I apologize. But all of them putting their needs as a patient second to care for their baby And then them having unresolved things that they're still going through and taking care of themselves that could be 
lifelong issues as far as cardiac health and things like that. So you not only lost a child, but you're having to deal with your health at the same time. So it was, it was a great podcast. Honestly, I was going to show it and share it with my staff at the hospital. Please. <laughs> I will. <laughs> oh, you're not long with, this is good information. And, you know, just me not having experienced pregnancy, but myself, but going through with my family and stuff like this, this is stuff we need to know to help. Like if I'm there in the room, you might help advocate well my friend you know I'm quick to call yeah my friend Tanya said you know with my <laughs> great niece she was pregnant again here at home in Fort Worth and I called you I'm like listen she's going here they don't she can't, I can't we can't get in because of COVID what what can we do and you were like yeah. well okay this is what we can do and keep me posted and I yeah. think that's what we have to do is like help build the village everybody yeah. we're all responsible for for making sure that black women and black children survive as much as we can, especially when it's avoidable. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of, you talked about resources. Um, and Sonia mentioned this on the episode um, about, she read, it might've been Sonia, it might've been uh, Monique, what to expect when you're expecting. Are there other mm -hmm. resources that parents can read to help prepare, especially black women? Do you, is there anything out there that we should be reading or learning or watching? Um, there, there are. I just think that, especially this being a highlight right now and more people are aware of it, there's lots of resources available. I think CDC has a Hear Her campaign that they just came out with, and that's our Centers for Disease Control national organization, and they're recognizing the importance of maternal mortality and morbidity. So Hear Us. It has, I think Allison Felix is one of the people that shares her story in that. Um, AWAN, I mentioned them again, but they have a birth equity um, campaign that they're doing right now. And I really love it because it has information on educating patients. It has information on educating staff that care for them, but also information for educating caregivers that help support the women that are pregnant at that time. And then I also found this Black Mamas Matter group. And so I've been looking at information that they share. But of course, I love it because they're advocating specifically for Black women going through pregnancy. So Black Mamas Matter. And you can find lots of resources from them as well as far as different ways to be supported during pregnancy and beyond. I love it. Um, yeah. Speaking of the previous episode, I've learned, I guess, within the last couple of years, I've seen heard of, I even know one of my former students she's doing this many black parents are turning to doulas and midwives and opting to give birth at home instead of the hospital basically because of situations like this um mm -hmm. maybe they had a previous pregnancy and it went bad in the hospital and so the second one they're like we're gonna do it at home and instead of an OBGYN we'll get a midwife or a doula um and I guess I'm just old school, but you know, you're like, ah, we need a doctor, but I, you know, you have to do what's best for you. And so I don't want to knock anybody's, you know, options or what they feel mm -hmm. is best, but I just wondered what you thought about those options. Could you give some insight? I think that doulas and midwives are very, they're different as far as a physician at the bedside. And I think that they pay attention to the woman as a whole the whole body, what's going on with pregnancy. I think they're a great resource to have. Important to note though, most doulas are doulas that will be with you and they are there for support of you. Oftentimes 
They are not healthcare providers. They are support to you while you're going through pregnancy. They have education and knowledge and they can help you. So that way you make a more informed decision mm -hmm. on the choices that you have. And they're there to support and advocate for you. So that while, way, while you are delivering, you don't have to stop and say, pause, what was on my birth plan of what do I want going on? Um, doulas and midwives, I just honestly, and I do work at the hospital, so I am swayed a little bit, but I just really recommend that you look at them and what are their backgrounds? Are they a lay midwife or have they been trained in a certified nurse midwife? Are they a doula because they've been with some family members and supported them or have they gone through training so that they are truly a doula that comes from a training program that you have? Um, I'm just cautious and I'm similar to you or what you just said. Things can happen and change so quickly that if you do deliver at home, and that is what makes you most comfortable. Just make sure you have a plan in place that if things change and change rapidly, that you are not living 30 to 45 minutes away from your nearest hospital because a lot can change and happen to you in 30 and 45 minutes as far as the outcome for you and your baby. Um, if you do have a medical condition that's going on, make sure that you have a true plan of that you have that information readily available and that they can get it to whoever comes, paramedic, EMT, as well as the hospital when you get there. Make sure that they have a relationship with the hospital so that way they know what to expect and you're not getting caught in the crosshairs as far as who gets them, who's the admitting provider, do I go to the emergency room, do I go straight to labor and delivery. I mean, I have family members that have delivered at home and they've had a wonderful delivery, but they also live five minutes from a hospital. Mm -hmm. So that made me feel a whole lot better as far as their care. Um, but honestly, I mean, you do what works for you. I'm probably one of those people that I really think that there's a lot of different ways to do the same thing, mm -hmm. but what's most important is that your wishes are honored and that you feel comfortable in what you're doing. So I would never say you have to deliver in a hospital, but always think about what if, if something happens, what are we going to do in that event and have that plan ready? Okay. Just be prepared. It's like, Absolutely. don't get don't eliminate anything you can mm -mm. bring all those the doulas and midwives into the birthing plan and they just there to support what you want basically. absolutely okay. yeah I and especially that. midwives there's some hospitals now that midwives are delivering in the hospital okay. so if it's just a midwife midwife specifically that you're looking for then find that midwife and some of them actually have practices where they're delivering in the hospital so you're getting mm -hmm. midwife care but it's in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. And the key is making sure they have the training and education. That is very important. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's good to know to have options. It's like tools. Yes. You have different tools in the toolbox. And the mm -hmm. more we know, the more we can educate and better prepare for things like for our health and safety. Absolutely. When I say our, I mean, black women, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Speaking of, you talked a little bit about um, your experience, saying that you didn't have much experience with loss and trauma, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean your job is not stressful, you know? Right. So mm -hmm. have you had situations where, you know, you were like, you left that day and it's like, man, this, this was a tough day or a tough delivery or a tough person I had to work with because you don't necessarily mm -hmm. work with delivery or a mom that maybe struggle. Mm -hmm. If you did talk about that, but also talk about being on the front lines, because even though you do education, you still essential, you know, mm -hmm. you get 
take off during COVID like I did. Nope. <laughs> every day, every day. Right. <laughs> um, what do you do to for self-care to help relieve some of the weight of, you know, having to make sure that moms are, are prepared to be great moms? Um, let's see. As far as tough days, I know that we had, we had a patient to come in and deliver. She was young African-American female. And this was when I was still working on the floor before I was manager. And I was really thankful for the people that were there at that time. She delivered her baby. I had her postpartum day one. We kind of joked. She was younger, had a good time, talked about the baby, gave her port to night shift. Came back the next day, she was still there. I was taking care of her that day. And in talking to her, she just wasn't herself. She wasn't that same person that I saw yesterday. And initially that morning, I thought, well, she had a long night. The baby was probably up. You're not getting the sleep that you normally get. But she was just off. I mean, you can tell when a patient is not what they typically are after seeing them multiple days, even though I just had her the day before. And so I talked to her and she was like, I don't know. I just, I don't feel myself. I just feel, you know, off. Something's not right. I don't feel well. And her doctor, actually, now that I think of it, was a young African-American male doctor. And I called him and I was like, hey, you know, I'm taking care of your patient in this room and I don't know what to say. Her vital signs are not crazy, anything where I'd be super concerned about, but she's not herself. Something is not right about her. I was like, her blood pressure is slightly elevated. I think she was maybe 130s, 140s, over maybe 80s, 90s. So not super high where we'd be really afraid. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, she just is not. She's not as bubbly as she was yesterday. She's not as talkative as she was. And even she herself says, I just don't feel right. He was like, oh, that's enough for me. Send her back to labor and delivery. Let's monitor her for a while. And, you know, from my standpoint, I'm like, Oh, I'm so happy, you know, that he listened to me and took her over there. Well, when she got there, her blood pressure, and I think this is important to know, the blood pressures, of course, when you're 200s over 100 and 110, those are scary. You're going to freak out because something is, you know, that's way outside of normal range. Not every patient is going to present with blood pressures like that and have a blood pressure issue because her baseline blood pressures were 100s, 110s over 60s to 70s. So for her, having those 130s, 140s, 150s over 80s to 90s, that was a change for her. And she was having elevated blood pressure. And they did lab work and they found through the labs and her slightly elevated blood pressure, she was going, she was did have preeclampsia at that point. Mm. And so they started her on MAG and she was on MAG for 24 hours. I was back the third day and she came back to me that afternoon and seeing her after that magnesium she was a completely different person. And that was stressful to me because I just kept thinking if I would have just said nothing and thought, oh, she's just sleepy because she was a vaginal delivery. She would have gone home that day. Mm-hmm. And, but thankfully, thankfully, I'm blessed. I'm blessed that God made sure I said something to the right person at that time because she had a, could have had a totally different outcome if she would have mm-hmm. gone home and she would have had blood pressure. She could have seized and had other issues. And that's the kind of thing that you just have to always be aware. And as a patient, I forgot about this early. If ever a patient, if you feel like those words, I just don't feel right. 
you know your body better than anybody else knows your body. So when you say that, most healthcare professionals are going to be like, whoa, okay, wait, let's look a little bit deeper. Let's see what's going on. Because those are key words to say, I don't feel like myself. And let them know that whether it truly is medical, it might be psychosocial, you just don't know what's going on. But typically, we are going to look a little bit further because when you are self-aware enough to know that it's not right, then we have to do something about that. Um, as far as self-care, especially during COVID, because it was a lot. I mean, COVID was, it hit hard and hit heavy. And we had to kind of come up with things as we went along because there wasn't any kind of research on it. We didn't know the best things to do. So there were times that we were locking down the hospital and no one could come in. Then it was, well, you could have a visitor, but that one visitor can't leave. And if they leave, then they can't come back again. Um, it was just a lot of changes. The staff was scared. I mean, because yes, we're healthcare professionals, but we're human too. And yeah. it's like, who has it? Who doesn't have it? Is this really going to be what keeps me safe? You keep changing your mind and saying something different. And it's hard because you can't leave by yelling fire all the time. So you have to try to be as calm as you can to make sure that they're as calm as they can be. And you have to try to read up and make sure that things are going the way that they should. So a big one for me was during COVID was working out. I actually worked out a lot more than I typically did. Um, doing virtual options from the house because I wasn't out there. I wear my mask when I go out in public <laughs> and whatnot. So I was doing it virtually in the beginning. And then after that, we started having outdoor workouts and I would still put my mat. They say six feet, I'd be eight feet, a little bit further away from everybody. But that little bit of time to get outside and to work out and just for a little bit and not think about anything, it really was important to me. And it, it made all the difference. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. Listen, you, you got to take, we have to take care of ourselves. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. you have to do it. If only I would have been eating that, beaten right at the same time as when I was working out, but I was still stress eating. So, you know, <laughs> I still am stressed. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> well, uh, that's good information. I, I loved all of this. This was really, really good. Um, another thing we do for self-care, we're going to transition a little bit into some fun okay. stuff. We love football and we yeah. love reality shows. <laughs> so yeah. Wrap up. We're going to take a couple of minutes to talk. Which one you talk about first, football or, or Real Housewives? Let's go football because I've been missing football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Tanya loves college football. <laughs> she loves college football more than the NFL. So I guess um, I guess my question to you is how did you start watching college football? Um, we've always loved football. So we've even as a young kid, my parents, they always watched football and my family, um, I guess on every level was a Cowboys fan. Like they were just always watching the Cowboys. Um, so football was always there. My brother played football. I was the cheerleader when we were young and in Pee Wee. We just, you know, football has been there. But something about going to school and being on campus at TCU and that feeling of going into the stadium because we sucked. I mean, it was horrible. If we win a game, we were happy about that. So it wasn't that we had a great team, but it was something about going out to a game and watching college football. And then graduating and going to the games now, we get to tailgate before the games and hang out with friends and talk and just shoot the breeze. It's no stress. You show up and it's like, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. And we have a good time before the game, 
we watch the game afterwards, get to talk about it. But I just love that. And that's why I like college more than professional is that there's so many players, there's so many schools, there's so many stories about these schools. And um, you have kids that know they're not going to play professionally, but they're giving it their all out there on the field for their school. And it's not because of the money and the contract. Of course, they want to get that later on. But at that point, it's just for the pride of playing. And I just, I love the, the pure, the, the pureness of college football. I like college football. I don't keep up with it like you, but because um, it's always fast. It always seems to be no defense and all offense. Yeah. And I like a defense mm-hmm. now. Come on. Yeah. 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 Everybody just, you know, the games be scoring like basketball, like 75. <laughs> But everything's changing. SEC used to be known for their defense, but they putting up scores just yeah. like the Big 12 and Pac-12 right now. See, so and I mean, that's another thing of like all the different conferences and divisions. I'm like, ah, I'm stuck. I got the NFL, I got the AFC, <laughs> NFC, and I'm good. And th- you might divide that into four AFC North, AFC South, East, West. I'm, so I'm good. <laughs> nah, nah. College, College. I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? But I've been getting a little bit more into it this year since uh, mm-hmm. Liz's son and uh, Kim's son have yeah. played. Kim's our uh, sorority sister. So trying to keep mm-hmm. up with at least what they do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Other- and they're in those conferences that put up all the scores. So yeah. you just hate every minute of it. <laughs> Listen, I go and have hot dogs and then I get <laughs> But uh, the the one thing I can say about when I do watch is you're right, the pride to play is so much higher than NFL. Yeah. You know, they're just out there trying to, you know, they may, that's probably more than likely for most of them, that's the end of the career for them. Right. And so they're yeah. just playing for the love of it. And I, I do love that. Like, I hate to see an arrogant football player. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to play. But then you get those stories that all of a sudden, like, most of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, they didn't come from big power conferences, schools. So you have those people that make it. So you never know when it's going to be that yes. person, Mr. Insignificant in the draft, that's going to make a difference. So and, true. you know, he's going to be the man. So true. <laughs> so true. What are, are you looking forward to any teams coming up this this fall season? You know, I'm purple. I'm TCU win, lose, or draw. That's you know. it. I watch it every time, all the time, even when I'm disappointment, disappointed. And I've had a lot of disappointment lately, but we still end it to win. So I think uh, I think Baylor plays TCU again this year. So I might have to look oh, yeah. you up for yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. highlights like Tanya. Help me get some oh, tickets. because You know, we, we got our tickets. Same spot, 10 years. <laughs> we went. We went. Now, listen, I need to talk to TCU, uh, whoever does the visit inside the tickets because mm-hmm. i'm like why we got to be way up high that's a new change because they all used to have visiting team used to have better seats than some of us paying really? for season tickets yes so really? where y'all are now that's only been i think the past two years that's where they've been for the no, past I'm, two years i need a i need a hookup <laughs> that 400 level is no joke <laughs> i told liz i was like if i got to go way up at the top i'm just gonna go to the concession stand <laughs> But that's what they do. We went when we played Arkansas and mm-hmm. we had to climb up. If that's the 400 section for TCU, this must have been the 600 section oh. in Arkansas. I tell people I could have touched the hem of his garment. Uh, he was like right there. That's how high up we were. I, listen, I, I ain't going to do it. I just can't. <laughs> I'm afraid of heights. I was like, I love football, but not this much. I like that. 
<laughs> and then also too, wait a minute, I hate to rag on your school because we're both mm-hmm. both proud four or five D graduates. Me, yeah. Green Beach, Triple Tech area, mm-hmm. my district champions class nineteen <laughs> You at the time went to North Northside. <laughs> I did high school of medical professions. Yes, North you side. did. <laughs> Let's talk about that Northside High School football team from back in. The- mm-hmm. Let's talk about current Northside <laughs> High School football team. <laughs> That's what made me think about it. Yeah. I think it was this year I might have texted you. I was like, Northside is in the playoffs. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> the world like has things changed. have changed. <laughs> the world has truly changed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's good stuff though. You know, kids got there Absolutely. and athletics is such a, a major force in changing some kids' lives and keeping them focused. Oh, yeah. So if it's 415 D, I'm a cheer for Northside. Go ahead. I was just shocked. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know it's a TCU guy that's coaching over at Northside now. That's what's up. See, look yeah, at there you. You, go. you, got, you get the <laughs> double brag. <laughs> I know. We used I to just it. sit and wait for soccer and cross country. We were no yeah, kind of football. Now in that, I was killing the game. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the rest of us was like, "Well, listen, let's just go to this uh, track meet <laughs> or this football game or basketball, it's soccer and cross country." Yeah, basketball. Okay, so let's talk about real. So Tanya and I are both big fans of Real Housewives yes. of Potomac. So this season, are you Team Candace or Team Monique? Well, Where Monique gone. Well, She's I gone mean, now. for the previous season, I sure hate that. Previous season, I was Team Monique as far as it's only so many times you on this in my face, in my face, because like I tell my kids. You can say whatever you'd like. Your mouth is under your control, but somebody else's reaction, you don't have control That's over right. that. So you need to govern yourselves accordingly. And, but the only thing with Monique, I'm like, stay true to what it was. If you did it and you're not really sorry, don't come back don't, and have issue the half-hearted apologize, <laughs> apology later. Just stay with what you're saying. Of you running your mouth, you talk too slick. That's what happened. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. I wish I would have had more self-control. But I didn't like her flip-flopping and then offering this apology oh, yeah. that I really don't think she meant. <laughs> she did not mean it. No. <laughs> and there was no sense. Of, and just if you don't listen to um, listeners, if you don't watch, Candace and Monique were two women who had basically gotten into it and had been into it. They were friends. And then over time, just for whatever reason, they started bickering over and over. And eventually it ended up into a fight where yeah. Candace um, and basically Candace was talking to Monique and she kept putting her finger in her face and Monique slapped her finger out of out of her face and then before you mm-hmm. know it it was a full out fight and so well don't forget though Candace was like what are you gonna do drag yeah, me what yeah. are you gonna do what are you gonna do that add to it she did <laughs> <laughs> she drug her and yeah. so it became like who was team Candace who was team Monique between the friends and mm-hmm. Candace pressed charges and Monique pressed you know, alternate charges as well. And so we just ended up taking sides. But I'm kind of like you as far as that, like I tell people all the time, like you tell your girls, you know, you can respond and say whatever you want to say. That doesn't dictate how anyone else or how respond to that. And so Mm -hmm. people were mad. It was like, well, she didn't have any right to put her hands on her. 
again, she chose her behavior. Monique can choose how she chooses to respond. You can't always dictate a consequence. And I tell my students that all the time. So if you don't want, you need to think that through. You know, what are the possible consequences of me talking, saying, because your mouth can be just as violent as your hands. Oh, yes. That's what my point was. Mm -hmm. Like, her words were really harsh. And, you know, you say the wrong thing to somebody, let somebody call me the N-word. And, you you know, like, hey, you get what you get. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, so I I was definitely team Monique. I hate she left. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. What I really hated was how they tried to make her responsible for being the model for all black girls. We are black women and, you know, we are, you know, we're putting out negative behaviors when all of them on there have exhibited some type of negative behavior. Even if it's not dragging somebody physically, they drag each other with their words constantly. Like uh, Karen coming for, um, what's her name? Giselle and how she dresses that was so mean Mm -hmm. that was so mean if her outfits doesn't bother you why you know what is the big deal so it was just stuff like that and then Giselle trying to be team righteous when she's constantly gossiping and doing the he said she said thing you know this is my she got started she in the middle yeah like even the backtrack some for Monique Candace had done it before and Monique had had an outburst. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's in her nature of where, mm-hmm. so once you keep poking that bear, I'm never a proponent of us fighting, fighting. and all that, but I need Candace, just like I need my kids, be able to read a room and yes. know what's going on in that room, because I'm not going to poke something to start a fire mm-hmm. if I don't want the heat. And like when I'm walking and I see, when I see people walking their dogs, I will right. chill out because this dog, oh, his tail is wagging. He's probably playing. I can walk by him. He seems a little bit ferocious. So I'm going to slow my roll until he passes by. Absolutely. You Absolutely. know, you kind of like, and that was at the barbecue when um, yes. Monique uh-huh. was pregnant. She told her then, yeah. like, hey, no. you, listen, I was team Monique. I, was, she, <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it. I'm like you. I don't propose violence, but she deserved that ass with me. Yeah, sometimes it's coming. <laughs> like, hey, and you kept doing this, and and then she, I think she twirled her hair too, or something. Yeah, there's something with that. I, I was know. like, ooh, <laughs> Chris wasn't having it though. So. <laughs> okay, so what did 2020 teach you? Ooh, I think mine was persevere. Just keep going. 2020 is a lot because every time we thought that it was about to change, you got to persevere. You just got to keep going. Eye on the goal, make it through, make it through. And then enjoy yourself along the way because I'm like, things that we took for granted, like being in the same room with each other, you know, just keep working to get to that. We got very creative and trying to do Zooms and, you know, get together virtually, but (laughs) persevere don't don't stop just because you hit one roadblock because you have to keep moving Our, uh, get together at qt in the parking lot spread out. exactly <laughs> we, need to, we need to do that again <laughs> that absolutely when our lawn chairs and people were pulling up like what it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a different level you needed the mask but you wouldn't even let us give you the mask we had to put in the trunk so that it could <laughs> You know, especially that was early on. I was. It was early. It was early. 
I've calmed down since a little bit, especially now that I've had my first shot. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> so, but yeah, once I went back to work, I was like, well, I'm at work, so mm-hmm. I might as well yeah. see my friends and spaced out. So I'm not as uh right, you know, skittish about touching and stuff, but definitely mm-hmm. the breathing is still a concern. So I'm team mask. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Even though Texas is like uh we're not going to talk about the governor. Okay. That's if, not if you That's a whole won, other hour. Girl, <laughs> seriously. If you won the Powerball, what would you do? Oh, man. I don't know why I hate this question. Eric asks me that all the time. And I'm like, I'm not good with decisions, especially like spur of the moment decisions. And so even though I've been asked, I still haven't put thought into it, but there's definitely going to be a splurge because to me, you weren't planning on winning the lottery. I mean, Powerball, you didn't know when you bought that ticket, you were winning it. So that means that God has okayed it for me to splurge on something, something that I've been wanting, I will get. And then I think typical, you know, answer, try to do something nice for me and my family. And that includes my extended family friends, just something so that we can celebrate because, it's a blessing, Lord. I can't imagine Powerball when it was a half a billion dollars. Woo, man, listen, that's my last day at work. I'm not calling in <laughs> right now. So like, y'all know. Matter of fact, if I disappear, y'all know she got. We me. know. There now, you go. Meet me in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> um, who would you want to portray you in a movie about your life? Ooh, um. Portraying me a movie about my life. I don't know. I was told maybe one of the twins, one of the sister sister twins, like Tia Mowry, oh, something yeah. like that, because they're a little goofy, not Tia. really overly loud. But yeah, I think that would be good. We're gonna pick Tia. Okay. Tamara, <laughs> Loki, mm, <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You heard me. I think Tia. Yeah. yeah. Tia. <laughs> okay. What would be the theme song for your life? Theme song for my life. Jeez Louise, I'm not good with music and songs. <laughs> Let me think. It would be probably something from the 90s. I just can't seem to get past 90s R&B yeah. back then and just hype music. <laughs> or it would be trap music. That's my other one. Just I, I'm sorry. I, but I can't think of a specific one, but yes, I love it. That's okay. So it's going to come from the 90s R&B or trap catalog. That, I yeah. I do. Get oh our gosh. workout playlist together. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly it. I can work out to that. That's good stuff. Listen, mm-hmm. So we can get our summer bodies ready. That's right. 50 by that's 50. Right. Listen, let's make this happen. <laughs> Well, Tanya, thank you for coming. Uh, this was really great information. I appreciate you for doing this, even though I know it's out of your comfort zone. You did a wonderful job, and I appreciate you so much for doing this. I'm gonna get with you later and try to get those uh, those acronyms and some links that I can put in the Dropbox so people awesome. get their resources and know what to look for. But again, thank you for coming. Of course, thank you. I appreciate it. That's it, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, subscribe, share with a friend, and give a five-star review. Also, remember 
follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Everybody's Homegirl, at Instagram at Everybody's Homegirl 11. You can also find me on my website at www.everybodyshomegirl.com or shoot me an email and tell me what you think of the show. You can send me an email to Everybody's Pod at gmail.com. Remember, share with a friend before you hang up or before you end the show. Send it to two people right now. Text them and say, hey, here's a dope podcast you need to listen to. Thanks and have a great day.